is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Right when we thought we were back in studio, they push us back to the virtual method. And, you know, we were getting excited being back on campus. 2024, FUVFC got the ball rolling on this football we call Planet Earth again. And, you know, it is what it is. We're back on Zoom, but... Boy, am I excited for this episode because not only is the Champions League coming back in a week, we've got MLS and NWSL right around the corner. We've got some big stuff going on in the top five leagues in Europe. We've got some great international football with the Asian Cup and AFCON. So I'm really excited to break things down with two of our newest members of the FUVFC family here. I can't lie. Griffin Stevenson is back after a great debut last week. Loved having you on the show. It's been a long time coming for you, my man. So happy for you. And then another, we got Diego Martinez here, who is not only part of the Funks family already, the Fordham University men's club soccer team, one of our goalkeepers. So I'm more than thrilled to have him on the call this week. Uh, Griffin, I'll throw it to you because you've been on the show before. Uh, How are you doing on this fine Thursday afternoon? And yeah, welcome back, man. Super stoked to have you on the show. Um, I'm doing pretty good, pretty good, you know, studying for exams and feel a sore throat maybe coming so maybe it's a good thing we're not in the studio not getting you guys sick but besides that no complaints no complaints Diego how you feeling man I'm all good I'm all good ready to talk some footy ready to you know get this started uh, I'm gonna have a lot of fun here so um, just I'm just out well welcome to the both of you let's go right into the football because we've got a lot of it at this point let's start with the African Cup of Nations. Um, because this went a little bit differently than we expected. We got the prediction right for the final. If you listen to last week's episode, we were sniffing out a Nigeria-Ivory Coast final, but it didn't go the way we thought it would getting there. And it came from a wild, wild Nigeria-South Africa game that not only went to penalties, but each team scored a penalty in in, in regular time with Will Trustakong, the Nigerian captain, scoring, Mokana, and the 90th minute for South Africa sent the game to extra time. And then eventually, Bafana Bafana fell to the Super Eagles after extra time in penalties 4-2. to two. So Nigeria, the heavy favorites in this competition with a lot of the heavy hitters out earlier in the tournament, like we discussed last week, are firmly in the final. And then Ivory Coast in their home nation at their Olympic Stadium, hosting the DR Congo, who have been, like you said last week, Griffin, probably the, the biggest surprise, uh, at least to this point of the tournament getting to that far of a stage. And it was a class performance from Ivory Coast all around, as you would expect, more quality on that side. And Sebastian Haller is is a terrific, terrific player who got the goal to send them to the final. So we've got a third-place matchup between South Africa and DR Congo. And then in the final, as we hoped, 
as we got. It's a West African rivalry between the Nigerians and Ivory Coast. Uh, that home advantage for Ivory Coast could be plentiful, but I still see Nigeria as the stronger team on paper. They've had a better go of it at this tournament, and I really think that it's their final to lose, but can't count out Ivory Coast and having home field advantage. So, Diego, I can throw this one over to you first. Overall, your impressions of the African Cup of Nations that we've gotten to this point, and what are you thinking about this final between Nigeria and the Ivory Coast? Oh, boy. I mean, AFCON is certainly one of the most entertaining tournaments in, in world soccer. I, I am still very sad that it is so overlooked uh, just from all the wild plays and all the wild score lines that we've seen. Um, I mean, earlier in the tournament, we even saw a goalkeeper, got to represent my goalies, a save four penalties the only time it's happened. But look, uh, looking at Ivory Coast, uh, they have had a completely different tournament than Nigeria. One has had a relatively easier time getting here, and the other, being Ivory Coast, has kind of had to claw themselves through each and every game. And, you know, I I think, honestly, I'm picking the Ivory Coast. I think this is theirs to win. I think this is their their prime position to really, like, like leave everything that's happened behind and, um, and you know, take this and take this win. It, it would be a monumental win for them. I mean, you mentioned Sebastian Haller. They've got some great players, I I mean, I would want Ivory Coast to win and kind of have that ending for a Cinderella story. Griffin, over to you, man. Well, I mean, Diego did say he thinks Ivory Coast is going to win, and I will say I have to disagree. I think mm -hmm. this is shaping up to be Nigeria's tournament. But I will say is you don't necessarily watch AFCON for, I guess, quintessential, like, European, like, quote-unquote, beautiful football. But is it too much to ask for a little bit better play from the <laughs> top teams in this co in this continent for the final? Because, you know, we did get the predictions right, as you mentioned, James, but it does seem like these teams like Nigeria and Ivory Coast don't have their foot all the way on the gas pedal, especially when I was watching that Nigeria game. For a little bit, it seems like they got complacent. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, South Africa, and South Africa really took advantage of that. And I do see where, Diego, you're coming from when you say Ivory Coast has had to battle a little bit more, and that could sort of give them the edge in this tournament. But I think this uh, uh, that South Africa game was kind of a wake-up call for Nigeria, and I think they'll come to play when it comes time for the final. Well, let's let's not forget, this is a matchup we've seen very, very recently in the group stage in which Nigeria... And what was rather an ugly game, I, 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 more to your point, Griffin, it's not beautiful football, but it is beautiful passion within this football. A Copa Libertadores level of passion is what I said last week, and I'm sticking to that for sure. And it was a Will Trustacong penalty that beat the Ivory Coast for the Super Eagles in the group stage. And then Ivory Coast did not really bounce back from that. You know, you think that they've just lost to the toughest team in their group. They have to come back and, and, and you know squash maybe the minnows of that group in Equatorial Guinea, and then they lose 4-0 in their home stadium, in the Olympic Stadium, in front of nearly 50,000 people. And, and, and that's an unacceptable result, all things considered. Now, look, they followed that up with a victory over Senegal, arguably the most talented team in the entire continent, excuse me, continent of Africa, and they showed a lot of confidence in their wins over Mali and DR Congo, despite having to claw through those games as well. But I, I, I think that 
it's this has got to be Nigeria's tournament to win, even though they have shown the same signs, I think, that the Ivory Coast has in terms of complacency and not playing to their best, as you mentioned, Griffin. But I can't overlook what they've been able to do in this region for a long time. And they've gone through this tournament unscathed. They drew Equatorial Guinea, who I thought absolutely shocked everybody with how good they were in the group stage, unfortunately falling quickly thereafter in the knockout round. But then they beat Ivory Coast. They beat Cameroon. They outlasted South Africa in what ended up being, like you said, Griffin, an ugly match where they got really complacent. So I think I'm I'm with you and that I'm in the Nigeria camp. But this is the final that football fans deserve. This is the final that Africa deserved. And this is a final that will get eyes on it. Uh, so Sunday, February 11th, Nigeria and Ivory Coast for the African Cup of Nations, switching gears over to another continental tournament that has certainly warranted people's eyes on it is the Asian Cup. We've got an all-Arab final between Jordan and Qatar. And this one we got very, very wrong because we thought that this was going to be a South Korea-Japan final. And we thought that was the final we deserved, those being probably the two heaviest hitters in the region. But boy, oh boy, does home field advantage really help Qatar when it's not the World Cup because I don't know how they were able to get that win over Iran. Akram Afif and Amoaz Ali's goal, I don't know if either of you guys saw them. Terrific finishes. Terrific, like, the pace of play. And Almo Ali, I thought he was offside, but he was just in the right place at the right time. And in front of 40,000 people, probably the two best teams in the Arab world, uh, not including the African nations such as Morocco, Tunisia. You have Iran and Qatar. And that honestly could have been the final itself. That was a cracker of a game. Sardar Azmoun and Jahan Baksh scored for Iran, the heavy hitters that you would expect. And then Akram Afif and Almoaz Ali, the guys you would expect to score for Qatar, end up getting it done. But how about Jordan? 2-0 over South Korea. Chris Shepard texted us in this group chat. Shout out, Chris, um, about this match. And I was shocked, you know, especially because it took South Korea every inch by the skin of their teeth to sneak by Australia, who are a strong team, an actual strong team who consistently qualifies to the World Cup in this region. South Korea outlasted them with a 96th minute winner uh, equalizer and a 104th minute winner from their two best players, Hwang Hee Chan and, so- and Hyun Min Song. So I was very bullish about South Korea's chances going into Jordan. You think they'd have a lot of momentum behind them, but perhaps, you know, the, the allure of playing in the Arab world has helped these Arab countries feel like they have a home field advantage. We saw Morocco feed off that at the world cup, reaching the semifinal, perhaps the same thing happened to Jordan. And I know a lot of South Korean football fans are very upset with their manager, former U S manager, Jurgen Klinsmann for seemingly not caring about getting eliminated at this stage, a two nil loss, to a team you are miles, miles better than is is never acceptable, especially in a semifinal of a continental tournament. And now I think this is just a layup for Qatar to get a back-to-back Asian Cup trophy. The fact that they got to host after having just won it and hosted before, to me, is a little sketchy, but Qatar gets rewarded with quite a bit of things. And this is only going to, you know, this is only going to help um, the critics say that this was either scripted or rigged or paid off or one way or the other. But if you watch that Qatar-Iran game, there's no way you could tell me that the Iranians were paid off to lose that match. That was an absolute cracker of a game. That should have been the final with South Korea and Japan already eliminated at that point. But the final we have now is Qatar and Jordan in Qatar. It has to be Qatar. And this is their this is sort of becoming their tournament to win every year, year after year. So Griffin, I'll go back to you first. Any thoughts you had on the Asian Cup as a whole? And yeah, Qatar's probably in the driver's seat to win this. Wouldn't you agree? I uh, definitely would agree, but I don't know what you're talking about, James. Uh, Qatar has been a country that's known for 
always following the rules and doing right. it by the book. And right. that is why they keep getting rewarded because they're so good at following the rules. But to your point, I mean, South Korea, I don't know what they got to do to get those guys performing out there, but they might have to bring back the threat of mandatory conscription again. Cause it seems like that's the way in which you win, you win these Asian tournaments. And but, the 2017 Asian cups with yeah, son thought he was going to have to go to the military if he didn't win it. And I think that's what you have to do, especially for South Korea's back line. I think mm-hmm. they, they look kind of stunned on, I think they gave those uh, Jordanese forwards way too much space and they allowed them to be clinical and they definitely were surprised. I mean, Personally, I mean, we heard in the podcast last week, we got our predictions way wrong. Way wrong. I don't think anyone was expecting this, but I think that definitely played into Jordan's hands because you could tell that the South Korean team was asleep for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And moving moving into the other game where it would be hard to be asleep during that one, the Iran-Qatar game, I mean, you said Qatar managed to squeak out their win very... I mean, it kind of gave me shades of AFCON by throwing in a red card there. Yeah. But I do think that you're right. This Qatar team is set up to go back-to-back. They were kind of gifted this position, but you never know. I mean, we saw it with Jordan and South Korea. These teams, when they're favored in these uh, continental tournaments, can sometimes fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Diego? Yeah, I... I, I still got to give my props to Qatar. I think they're, they're the favorites. I mean, I think, honestly, Jordan might might make some noise, but I don't think it's going to be loud enough. Uh, I think, honestly, it's just going to be a simple win for Qatar. I just really want to comment on, on South Korea because, I mean, looking at who's the coach, Klinsman, and what he did with the U.S. in the 2018 World Cup qualifying and seeing him do basically the same thing now, it's 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 sad. I mean, he didn't seem to care then when the U.S. like blew everything out the water, and he he was caught smiling after the loss, and, and kind of seemed like he didn't care. Like in 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 the Asian Cup. I mean, when what this has to be his last job. Like, I'm who's who's gonna give him another another chance whenever. Time and time again, we've seen him underperform with some historically very strong teams. I mean, I know that CONCACAF is getting better, but, I mean, at that time, the U.S., easily one of the two teams that, like, was clear favorites to make the World Cup. And, and South Korea, as we, as we established, were one of the favorites to win the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my comments just go to that. It's disgraceful. I'm so glad that that is the angle you've chosen to take here because I still see Pretty regularly, fans who like to criticize the U.S.'s current coach, Greg Berhalter, and he deserves a fair share of criticism. I'm not denying that. But I see people say we need to bring Jurgen Klinsmann back. And to that, I always I always scratch my head because I'm thinking, what do you what do you what did you like about this guy that was so great? Yes, we 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 tied Portugal and we beat Ghana at the 2014 World Cup. And I guess he deserves some credit for that. But we lost to Guatemala in World Cup qualifying in 2016. We almost didn't make the final round of qualifying for the 2018 World Cup, let alone not qualify at all, which, if you'll remember, we didn't do. So, yeah, Jurgen Klinsmann, I'm not his biggest fan. I'm not the biggest fan of, of Jurgen Klinsmann. And I think that an entire nation of people are going through what we went through uh, six odd years ago, roughly. So, yeah, I, 
you know, I, I think I'm very much in the camp with you there, Diego. They deserve their criticism. But the players of South Korea probably deserve better because they have got a talented, talented squad. One, probably the most talented they've ever been in our lifetime. Like, I don't think I can remember. They had they had Jisung Park, but they didn't have anybody else with him, right? They maybe maybe uh, Lee Chung-young at the same time. But I, I still think that to have Sun and Hwang Hee Chan and Kim Min Jai all at the same time, and they're not taking enough advantage of it. Seems to me like they're doing something very, very wrong. But that, that that's all the time we have for, for European football. Or sorry, for international football discussion. We're going to bring it to European football now. We're going to talk some club football because we had back to the weekend schedule. No more weekday Premier League matches. We're going to start in the Prem. Um, we can start with any one of these matches. I think it makes most sense to go to Arsenal-Liverpool or Wolves-Chelsea, which, you know, Surprised a lot of people for some reason, although I don't think those results for Chelsea should be surprising so much anymore. How about Luton Town? 4-4 against Newcastle. Everton outlasting Tottenham and staying 2-2 with them. So a lot of interesting results. Griffin, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You can talk about whatever you want first. You can talk United 3-0 over West Ham if you'd like as well. But we're going to chat a couple of these matches and what they mean for the table long term. So Griffin, where do you want to start? Well, I, I just, the West uh, the West Ham United game just deserves a brief mention. I think United is finally playing exciting football again, and I yeah. haven't said this statement in a long time, but I'm excited to see us play uh, against Villa on the weekend. I I think it's going to be a very interesting game, and I think we are very much showing our form. I mean, the picture of Mainu, Hoyland, and Garnacho sitting As on the, the header. sitting on the barricade brought almost brings me to tears. But the game. <laughs> The game I want to cover, which was the most important game for the weekend, was Liverpool and Arsenal at the Emirates. And, I mean, I was watching the game with a couple of friends. It was a good Arsenal win. There was they Both teams traded kind of two freebie goals, both mistakes. You have mistakes from, honestly, the entire Arsenal back line and Raya. And then you have a pretty bad mistake from Allison, who's usually known for... Being the best keeper in the league, as a matter of fact, he had. I think he should have saved. Um, I think he should have saved Trossard's shot at the end there too. And I was talking to my friends. This game on paper looked like a huge win for Arsenal, and I know people are bringing up that three most expected goal stat against Liverpool this entire season. But Arsenal, especially at home, is known for having very favorable score lines that I don't right. think completely reflect how the game turned out. Liverpool could have easily stolen a draw or even a yeah. victory out of this game without Mo Salah. And at the end of the day, I mean, I have two big Arsenal uh, Arsenal fan friends, and I we can move into the talk of the celebration at the end. I know Jamie Carragher got a lot of flack for speaking out against how Arteta is kind of running down the touchline. And granted, it was a big win, but I don't think you need to have Odegaard and those guys taking photos of their team photographer because I hate to say it. I got to remind these two teams, Arsenal might've won this game, but the biggest winner was Manchester city. Cause yep. I can tell you right now, you can talk to me at the end of the season. Arsenal is not winning the premier league. No. <laughs> and now Manchester city after their win, uh, after their win against Brentford is level on points with Arsenal with a game in hand. And this is the time of year where Manchester city you blink, you, next time you check the table, they've won 13 games in a row. So I every think year. Every year. And it, it's sad every to year, say, man. but I think 
it's early, but that might have seen. I think that result shows that if these are the best two teams besides City, and that's how they play against each other, we're in for we're in for a world of hurt as the Premier League as a whole. Yeah, uh, just Diego. Before I get let you get get your piece in on, on what's going on in the Prem, I just want to say, Man City, that game in hand that they're gonna make up. It's two weeks from, uh, sorry, one week from this coming Tuesday against Brentford. They've got Everton on the weekend, Chelsea the following weekend, and then Brentford after that to make up that game. And they're going to be at home. All three of those matches, they're going to be at home. Liverpool have Burnley this weekend at home, and Arsenal go on the road. Arsenal's like, I'm with you there, Griffin. At the end of this season, they're not going to win the title. I'd be very happy for Arsenal and their fans if they did. But, like, you know, it's not going to happen. And I think City is probably going to get nine points out of nine by February the 20th. And Liverpool will only have played two matches by then. And for that reason, City will be one point clear, at least, of the table. Um, so, Diego, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Is there any matches you want to talk about? We, we, we covered the top of the table race. Maybe you want to take a look at the bottom. Up to you. Where should we go next? All right, let's go. Let's go right in the perfect middle, man. I'm a Chelsea fan, and life is rough right now. I <laughs> I, I can't say much else other than the fact that um, it's the same story every week where you play really terribly in, in the Premier League and you lose to a team that, like, historically you should be beating, even though, like, the current state of Chelsea. Um, and then you go into, like, a domestic, like, tournament like the FA Cup or uh, the Carabao Cup. And, and, and you get a gr- great result. I mean, yeah. the, the 3-1 win uh, against Aston Villa, Aston Villa is a very strong team, and Unai Emery, I have high regards for him as a manager. That was probably Chelsea's best performance all season. It was just an amazing performance by Gallagher, an amazing performance by Enzo Fernandez with a stunning free kick. Yeah. How do you, I, how do you feel I about just, Enzo Fernandez? Look, I like him, man. I think he plays for the badge. I think, honestly, one of the biggest issues with me when it comes to this this team is looking at all of these players – and half of them, like Thiago Silva, like Enzo Fernandez, like Robert Gallagher, they're down, but they keep their heads up. They keep playing. They keep working. They're, they're, they're like the workhorses. And then the other half, like maybe Nico Jackson, maybe um, Modric, maybe like Madueke, they, they moment they're down, they stay down. Mm. moment they down, they, they don't men- – I feel like they don't mentally pick themselves back up. And I don't know if that's Pochettino's, like, like fault being like uh like a manager type of thing but i i just need to see more inspiring football from this chelsea side i i feel like we we have the quality to get good results but the problem is we're just not using it we're not playing inspiring football we're not taking risks uh we're getting risks taken on us and it's working out every time um <laughs> so i mean i just we need to be more risk risky with the ball we need to take more aggressiveness onto the pitch and you know i think it's really disappointing wolves are a very solid side i mean uh but without Huang he chen which is one of their best players i mean regardless what to say a team like chelsea should not be losing this type of game i mean every every time we hear the same story and i i think it needs to change now diego like you mentioned at the ends there wolves this season is not that bad of a team, and I think they're a team that we need to sort of give them their give them their dues, give them a round of applause, because I don't know if you guys remember, going into the season, they were almost unanimously 
in everyone's relegation choice. You got a new manager in Gary O'Neill, and everyone wrote them up, wrote them off at the beginning of the season, and then they came out against United week week one, and they put up a great display. Probably should have at least drew that game. There was a controversial call, but now they have guys that are playing really, really well. You got youngsters like Pedro Neto. That the this is a very competent team, especially in transition. These guys mm-hmm. are scary when they get the ball at their feet and they start running. And another thing I just want to point out really quickly is new signing or relatively new signing, Metis Cunha has been playing amazing. He's a dog. I mean, hat trick against you guys. I mean, I I remember him at um first of Berlin and he was he was a dog back then in the Bundesliga. And his play has really transitioned well into the Premier League. And as it stands, Wolves sit one place above Chelsea right now in 10th. And so I think I just got to tip my hat there to that amazing, to a, a good Wolverhampton side. Who, 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 by the way, Mateus Cunha has, has worked his way into the Brazilian national team in the past couple of years, which is that an incredible thing to do for any player playing for the Brazilian national team. But he's absolutely a baller, and he's on the rise. So I'm I'm glad he gets his flowers on this show. Uh, if there's one one matchup I can talk about, I will talk about Newcastle and Luton Town. And Luton have been something of an enigma these past couple weeks with results against Brighton and Newcastle, who I put in the vein of Wolves as teams that now have sort of upped their status in the Premier League to the likes of what Everton were 10, 15 years ago, you know, a team that's on the outside looking in at European football every year, you know, maybe would push the Champions League, sort of like Leicester was the past five, six years. Uh, and Luton Town have sort of been sort of like the boogeyman for those teams. They've not lost a match since Chelsea on December 30th. You know, this is this is a this is a, a fantastic, fantastic turnaround in what's going to be a hell of a relegation battle. They've got a game in hand and a point clear of the bottom of the table. Nottingham Forest look more and more in danger. Brentford have an incredibly tough schedule coming up. If Luton can continue to turn heads and get draws when they should be getting losses and wins when they should be getting draws, they're going to be safe in the Premier League, which I don't think a single soul, let alone Wolves, Luton, I don't think a single soul had Luton staying up this year. And, you know, shout out to them. Did you know that? Oh, uh, did you know that you have to go into uh, someone's back garden to get to the away stand? I'm sorry for making that joke, but it is very much uh, still indicative of what this club is relative to the teams that they are facing week in and week out. They went to St. James Park and scored four goals, four to level that and get a point out of that game. That is heroic, heroic stuff. Uh, I I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that going long term, but you know, if they could, that would be absolutely special. They're hosting Sheffield United on the weekend to me. You can pencil in three points. I love that. I love that matchup for them. And I think they're going to keep this run going. They're absolutely gallivanting there, albeit small, but very loud uh, supporter base. And I think that that, that we got to keep our eye on the relegation battle. Overall, there's how many points split all of them. It's Sheffield are guaranteed going down. Burnley are guaranteed going down, I would say. Then between Everton and 18th and Brentford and 15th, and I would maybe include Palace and 14th, they've only won six matches there's five points between those teams and that's not me including Fulham or Bournemouth who I wouldn't say are absolutely clear at the moment an injury or two that goes against those teams would be absolutely drastic to their chances but the fact is this is going to be a tasty race and I think Luton are in prime position to stay up which is very very exciting 
Let's look at some other leagues in Europe, though. This isn't just a Prem show. We've had habits of doing that before. We're going to talk La Liga now. And if I'm looking at results from last week, we were talking about Hirona and their, and, and how Real did just kind of snatch the league from them. And we think that maybe it's going to stay that way. And Real at home against Atletico, a point apiece. Chance for Hirona to stay alive. They're at home to Sociedad. Nil-nil. So Hirona with a great chance to make up some ground on the table. They're still only two points back, but I think once Real have passed them, you could pretty much consider that race over. I don't know if Hirona are going to sneak back in, but it would be absolutely uh, inspiring if they did. As for the bottom of the table, Sevilla with a big 2-1 win on the road to Rayo Vallecano, uh, another team that's in the relegation uh, race with them. So Sevilla putting themselves three-point clear of the bottom three is absolutely huge for a massive club that's having an awful, awful year in Spain. Uh, Diego, I'll throw this one to you first. If there's anywhere you want to start, Barcelona on the road, go down a man, but still win. A couple of red cards in Granada, Las Palmas. I'm assuming we're not going to talk about that one though. So if you want to start with the Madrid Derby, I'd be happy to let you. Yeah, man. I mean, there's always action when it comes to the Madrid Derby. And I mean, uh, Marco Llorente with a 90 equalizer stealing it from Real Madrid. I mean, I, I like your point about how, like, typically when Real Madrid uh, takes uh, the lead, they stay there. But, I mean, there's a huge matchup coming up, um, Girona and Real Madrid. I don't know. That's a huge game. And, you know, I, I, I think Madrid are, are, are most likely going to win this game. But, I mean, Girona have beaten Barcelona really bad earlier this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, They've got a lot of great players. I mean, I remember, especially last year when the, uh, the two teams played. I mean, Tati Castellanos, the NYCFC. No, we don't have to talk about that. Uh, we don't have to talk about it. Uh, but Tati he scored four goals. It was impressive. Dropping four goals. Uh, mm-hmm. And now he's at Lazio. But um, So I, I'm just saying this because anything can happen. I mean, just like this uh, Madrid derby, always gets heated. Always a fun and a pleasure to watch. But, I mean... I think Atletico are, are also making a little bit of noise here. I, I don't know if it's going to be a, enough of a push to like contend for anything, but I, I always like to see them fight. Uh, a Diego Simeone team, I always enjoy watching. So, I mean, that's all really I have to say about it. Griffin, any, any matches you want to highlight? Not matches, but I got to go on a quick rant here about uh, the Spanish FA. We briefly mentioned this last week. Jude Bellingham is facing right. what people are saying is right. a 10-match ban. I almost forgot. I almost forgot about this. A potential 10-match match ban for his comments directed at Mason Greenwood. And, embarrassing. And we don't have – it's embarrassing. We don't have to rehash what he said. But what I want to talk about is, as a Spanish FA, rumors that they are now going out and hiring professional lip readers to decipher what he's saying. But – they aren't even willing sometimes to take a second look at fans hurling racial abuse at players like Vinicius Jr. But then the moment a player says something bad towards a controversial signing who's playing mediocre in your league, you immediately you immediately got to come for him. And I will say, I do not like to pull this card, but I wonder if this would be the case if Jude Bellingham had an accent on that E and he was a Spanish center mm-hmm. mid. Because I do think 
to a certain extent in La Liga, there is an, sort of an English disdain. But I just really don't get why, if he did say that, does that really fall into like abusive and harassing, harassing language? Because he had a he had a case. It's not like this is just out of the blue. No, there's a reason he said it to Mason Greenwood, and you know I'm glad you brought that up. It, it speaks to a larger issue with European football at large that they just police the wrong things all the time, um, and the Spanish Federation has has had a rough go of it these past uh, few months ever since. The, the summer, I would say, uh, the Women's World Cup, it took a lot of backlash for them to, to take some action uh, and, and support Jenny Hermosa and, and the rest of the players on that team who had been ostracized even before that tournament. So I think the Spanish Football Federation has a lot of work to do before they um, re regain some global respect. But as far as that issue goes, I'm glad you brought it up, Griffin. Absolutely disgusting from them to... Uh, try to paint Jude Bellingham as some sort of villain for that. Meanwhile, he may not have even said what they're accusing him of saying, and it's certainly not um, offensive to anybody but Mason Greenwood, who, in my opinion, just seeing him in on TV in a football uniform could be offensive to a lot of people. That's at least certainly more offensive than anything Jude Bellingham could have said to him in that two-second clip. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, if I think I think that's that's a pretty poignant point to make about things going on in Spain right now. I think that I'm glad you mentioned Diego that Girona uh, Madrid match coming up on the weekend this Saturday. If Real Madrid win that match, I think you can just about pencil them in as the champions. That that game could decide everything. It's at the Bernabeu. They're going to be up for that match. Um, even if Jude Bellingham gets banned for ten matches, I still think that they'll have enough juice and a five point gap in the table to go ahead and then take it. But if Verona can somehow come away with either a point or somehow spectacularly three points this weekend, I would love for that to happen because it would make for an enti enticing uh, race down the line. But with that said, I think it's a bit unlikely and I I I'm, I'm penciling in Real as three points this Saturday and clear, clear leaders at the table at the end of the weekend. So let's talk Germany. We're going to go to the Bundesliga. Now we're looking at the table. And it's still what it said last week. Leverkusen won, Bayern two. And I know a lot of us weren't expecting that, but Bayern did end up getting the results over Borussia Mönchengladbach. Leverkusen uh, had that game in hand that they ended up playing earlier in the week. They had previously drawn a Mönchengladbach at home, so it could have gone any other way. Of course, then they went on the road to defeat Darmstadt. Um, this weekend, Leverkusen, Bayern. At Bayer Leverkusen, the title is on the line. Once again, so this Saturday, once once you're done with the Real Hirona match, you're going to see who practically is going to win La Liga. Switch over to ESPN FC and then put on Leverkusen Bayern, uh, or are they still on Fox Sports? I don't know who has the rights to anything anymore. That's that's a discussion for another time, but that is an absolute cracker of a game that could very well decide the season for either of those two teams. So I guess we'll have to start there. Griffin, I'll go to you on this one first. Leverkusen I mean, are at home, but it's Bayern, right? I think you have to you have to think that Bayern are kind of come away with three points here. You know, Bayern, I will applaud them. They did a good job. They got a 3-1 three, three, victory, came back after uh, Mönchengladbach scored an early goal against a team that can sometimes be a trap game, like you said, mm -hmm. you mentioned, for both of these big teams. But I just have the feeling that Leverkusen 
is going to pull this one out. Mm. Against Reimer reason to a certain extent, because Bayern Munich has been dominating Germany for the past 10 years, 15 years. Seems like forever. Surely in my time watching football, Bayern Munich has almost been a lock for this Bundesliga title. But I, I do feel like now, I personally feel, and I think a lot of fans in Germany feel, that there's kind of a shifting, a shift in the air, if you will, and that it seems like this might be Bayern, Le- Bayern Leverkusen's year. And I will say, that's the type of feeling that player, like these Bayern players might go into this game having in the back of their mind. And sometimes that's the difference between a defender snapping to cover uh, an inside run or going for to get that first loose ball. And this Leverkusen team, they said they haven't lost zero losses on the season. And I think that shows that they're a team that's not really going to let the big moments get to them. And I think this is where they stand out. And one kind of jokey thing to throw in is this Bayern Munich team has signed someone who was not known for winning trophies in the summer. And if you're a superstitious person, you could say that due to that Harry Kane signing, they're not going to win. Now, granted, that is a little silly. He's played amazing for them. But like I said, it's all these little things that are kind of superstitious or just a little by chance that keep piling up. And in my brain, I don't see Bayern Munich coming away with the win. My gut tells me like a 1-1, nil-nil draw. And I think if that happens, Leverkusen has the has the will to remain on top for the rest of the season. Diego, before you jump in, I just want to say, absolute, the point is taken about Harry Kane. Absolutely. But I think it's important we take a look at the golden boot leaders. He's seven goals clear of second place with 24. That's more than a goal a game in the Bundesliga. And that's not shocking anybody, right? And it's also not shocking anybody that it just so happens that they're not in first as this is all going on because it's Harry Kane. Bayer Leverkusen have a top scorer as well, who's sitting tied for seventh in that race with 10. It's Victor Boniface, who is going to be playing in the African Cup of Nations final this Saturday at or this Sunday at the same time uh, or the same weekend. So he will not be there for this match. And this is where things get interesting. If they don't have their high, their best goal scorer and Bayern are playing to move into first place, they're going to have that in the back of their mind, Griffin. I'm ab- you're absolutely right. But they certainly had that in the back of their mind last year when they were looking at the table beneath Dortmund on the final match day, and they still somehow came away and won the t- the title. And it sh- and that still shocked everyone, right? Like everyone was like, "It's it's Bayern, it was inevitable." But it still shocked everybody because it happened in such a shocking manner. With that said, this does not have the same shock value as that match had, and Bayern still pulled it off. Um, I think that I, I I'm I'm with you that like. Leverkusen haven't lost, and Chabi Alonso has done some fantastic things. I, I, I've, and I admire in the same vein that I admire Perona for bringing in the same players who are, you know, perhaps not quite at the level of a Real Madrid or an Atletico Madrid, not quite at the level of a Bayern Munich or a Dortmund, have then brought them into their club, made them focal points, and have transformed their careers. Guys like Patrick Schick, who are still in their 20s. They look at Hirona, guys like Yanhel Herrera, who are still in their 20s. Players who couldn't quite have have been in, in the, the teams that you know are going to be in the Champions League every year. One step down, though, they're super impactful, and their managers have been able to get the best out of them. This game is going to go down to the wire. It's going to be super, super tight. 
But because it's Bayern Munich and because there's not as much pressure as they saw last year, I am going to go with them for the three points. And I think that's going to just about be wraps for Leverkusen. They could lose one game all year. It would be this game and Bayern could take the title. Uh, Griffin, Griffin, I saw you unmuted. Do you want to jump in yeah, real quick one more? James, you mentioned Harry Kane is seven goals clear. Top goal scorer, 24 goals this season. Do you know how many goals Bayern Leverkusen has let their, let their opponents score this year? I, I believe it's less than one a game. Is it 19? They have let 10 less goals the entire season than Harry Kane has scored this 14. season. Oh my ba- That's Bayern Leverkusen's opponents have only scored 14 goals against them. And you mentioned Boniface will be out, and you mentioned they'll be lacking in the attack. And sometimes that can translate into a sort of lack of defense. But you use Patrick Schick in this, uh, in this game, who's a what, yeah. 6'4". Ball. I feel like that, I feel like that's a very uh, defensively able attacker, and this team is engineered by Xavi Alonso to not let goal scorers score goals, and I think that will be the difference maker at the end of the day. Diego, jump in, man. Yeah, no, I, I, Griffin, I love your point about the Harry Kane curse because I mean it is the battle of the curses. It is never Kuzin versus the Harry Kane led Bayern Munich. So inevitably, whoever wins this, uh, this, um, this, this season will be breaking a curse. Now, which one is it? That's the harder question to answer. I, I, looking at it, especially the way that they've both been playing, I gotta give it to Leverkusen, man. I, I, I think it is their time, and it's really because of, um, of the way that Xavi Alonso has been able to like instill a mentality within these players. You mentioned it, uh, James. Uh, that like band of misfits mentality of like I will go to war with anybody in this league. They have scrapped wins. They have dominated teams. They have done everything in between. They are against their toughest opponent, Bayern. And you mentioned that like last season we saw Dortmund. I mean, kind of blow it like they do every time. But like, I would say that that's a very different situation because Dortmund are still perennial like powerhouses within mm-hmm. the Bundesliga. Leverkusen has barely been relevant for the past couple of years. And yeah. it, it's really been until uh, Xavi Alonso has taken the helm and, and really changed the culture. And so I feel like it's like a complete mentality shift of Leverkusen are, are playing as if they suck, as if they have that like everyone thinks we're going to lose. Everyone thinks, oh, it's Bayern. They're gonna win. They got Harry Kane. You know, we got we don't have Bonifaz. They have a mentality of like if we if we can't score, we're not gonna let you score. Like uh like Griffin said, they have that dog mentality, and I think they're gonna scrap a like a good one zero win. And honestly, I think they're gonna hold on. I think if there's one thing we can agree on, it's that there's gonna be almost no space on this pitch. It's gonna be super super tight game. Every inch is gonna matter. Um, and if I can go back in Leverkusen's history, just a bit back into January, that come from behind win on the road at Red Bull Arena in Leipzig was, I think for me, the, the turning point that I had, I was probably, I was late to the party for Leverkusen, of course, as many others were, but that match for me said that this team is legit down to one on the road. You give up an early second half goal and then you come back and you win it in the 90th with goals from. Every pe- every area of the pitch in Tela, Jonathan Ta, and in Capier. So this team knows how to win in various ways, as you mentioned, Diego. I think that's a, a point well taken. But I'm not going to turn my back on Bayern. I, I think I think that this this game will decide the title. 
more so than Hirona Real Madrid could if Hirona get a result. So uh, I'm super, super, super stoked for that one. Let's go to Italy for a minute where Inter won, Juventus nil. And I think that was that was sort of that that one came a week early, right? If we had Inter Juve this weekend, you could have seen a title decider for three different leagues in one weekend. Uh, and I guess you could say Arsenal and Liverpool was a week early too in that in that vein. And Inter already a, a game in hand now, four points clear of Juve with that victory. Um, they defend their home so well, so they deservedly deservedly are in the driver's seat. In Serie A, and, and, and they've sort of become the new Juventus ever since Juventus had those financial troubles. And, you know, I, and I guess we, we pinpointed it uh, last week, Griffin, ever since Ronaldo, really. It's it's not been Juventus's uh, league anymore in Italy. So I think that we pretty much have a clear view of what's going on at the top of the table. It's Inter if they want it. Um, Juve can maybe make some noise if, if Inter drops some points here and there, although it looks unlikely. Uh, if you think their uh, Bayer, Bayer Leverkusen's defensive record is good, how about Inter conceding 10 goals in, in 22 matches? Unheard of. Uh, and even in Serie A, which is historically one of the most defensive leagues uh, in European football, probably would be considered that. This is an unprecedented defensive record. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, they've got they've got three more wins than any other team in this, in, in this league, and they've got a game in hand. I'm not worried about putting my stamp on Inter winning the Scudetto this year. But speaking of the Scudetto, the winners last year, Napoli, get a good win on the week, but they're still falling down the table where they should be. Uh, Verona, a relegation candidate, but they did take care of them. Uh, Atalanta is on the way up. AC Milan is on the way up. They got a big road win against Frosinone, which is a tougher place to play than you might think. So, uh, Griffin, I can go back to you on this one. Uh, Roma in the post-Jose Mourinho days, 4-0 over Cagliari. Atalanta with a big win at home against Lazio, who are, you know, not the team they once were in a bit of a mid-table race. Fiorentina uh, losing a very, very rough match to Lecce. Uh, and we were talking about Fiorentina last week, how they might be on the up. So, Griffin, I'm, I'm curious, where do you want to go here? Do you want to stay with the top with Inter Juve? Do you want to talk maybe Champions League with Milan? Or do we go a little more of a different flavor? What do you got for us? Um, I think this story for the Serie A this season. As you mentioned, Inter Milan with a huge, almost title-deciding victory over Juventus. And now that, in a sense, the league is, the picture is becoming more clear of how this league is going to shake out, I really want to look to how these teams are going to focus on European competition. It's an interesting situation because with most other leagues, your top guys are in title races and they're in the Champions League as well. And we can get to this more when we talk about the Champions League, but Lazio in ninth, Napoli in seventh, those are two out of the three Serie A teams that are in the Champions League knockout stages. And as of right now, they're not fighting for much with regards to the Serie A standings. And yeah. so I think we could, we could see an interesting turn where we really get a solidified top four race with those teams that are in Europe and then kind of a gap forms with the teams that do have right. to focus on European competition. Yeah, that's a great point. Napoli, Napoli's in seventh right now, but they're one point back from Bologna, and they're going to have to worry about chasing them and trying to get that top four, top four and top five spots for potentially European football. But they have Barcelona coming up, and I think that to them, they'll take that as a much bigger challenge because Absolutely. that's a game that I'm sure they, they think they can win. 
And when you have these teams that in, in the Serie A that have historically done well in Europe, it very much changes kind of the perception of their domestic league. I, I completely agree with that. I think that's that's something that doesn't get you know spoken about enough. You know, it's it's those little things because think about if you're if you're each of these clubs individually, if if you're Napoli, and you know, you might a couple wins could put you back in the Europa League conversation, and perhaps you sneak into fourth. They don't have to worry about that until after they play Barcelona two times. They are certainly have much bigger fish to fry, um, and that's an absolute uh, big point, Diego. I'm going to turn this over to you. Anything in Italy you want to mention before we get to France and then the Champions League? I mean, yeah, just something really quickly about, um, I mean, the question of which team uh, is under the most pressure right now in Italy definitely has to be Roma. It definitely yeah. has to be Roma. They just sacked one of their probably best managers in, in recent history, in Jose Mourinho, giving them European, even if it's the Conference League, it's it's European glory. Um, I, I understand that he was underperforming the season, but to to bring in Daniel De Rossi, uh, a former player, a former legend, absolute legend, absolute legend, absolute legend, and and you know I think he's going to do a great job. I I think honestly they should give him patience, but but with patience comes pressure. Uh, with patience comes pressure, and especially sitting in that fifth spot, um, inching at a Champions League spot. I especially Roma versus Inter. This has to be a game where Roma has to win. This mm-hmm. is Roma's game to upset. And and honestly, it, it's bad news if they don't. I understand that they've uh, they've had a lot of injuries. Dami Abraham has been out a lot this season and, and other players as well. But Roma have to figure some stuff out. And the Champions League spot would really get, get themselves going and give themselves a lot to, to work for. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's an important point to make. You know, they're certainly going through a change of the guard right now, despite still maintaining an important position in the table in fifth. Um, they're going to have to go through some changes before they figure out the club that they really are. Briefly, let's talk about Ligue 1, and then let's get back to the Champions League. We're going to preview some of the matches that are going to be happening this week, not the ones next week. We'll talk about those next week uh, on the episode. But I think we can start Brest and Nice in second and third. Nice, Brest is how that goes in the table. They played on the weekend. The only teams that could really, you know, challenge PSG. And they're holding on with the skin of their teeth to those Champions League spots. There's only three in Ligue 1. Uh, Lille and Monaco, you know, traditionally some of the other heavy hitters in this in this uh, country are on the outside looking in as it stands. These teams played to both of their favor and nil-nil draw, as you would expect. And then down at the bottom of the table, Lyon, a massive Three points against Marseille. We were talking about Lyon as, you know, a team that was really going to have to worry about relegation at this point. They're only three points clear, and that's with Mets losing to Lorient at home. Two teams that were also in the relegation battle, which is, it just worked out so well for Lyon that Mets didn't pick up points despite being at home, and that they get a big, big win over Marseille. Um, So things are looking a little bit clearer for Lyon. They're still very much in danger, but things looking a little bit clearer Lille and Monaco sneaking up on Brest and Nice, but of course, with only one loss, with 48 goals for, which is, by the way, 11 more than any other team in this league has. It's Paris Saint-Germain, firmly in first with that road win against Strasbourg. They won 2-1, and they didn't make it look super convincing. They were clearly the better team, as they are every time they play in this league. Um, 
but they didn't really make it easy on themselves conceding the way that they did uh, uh, right after scoring uh, in the second half, they scored early and they kind of took their foot off the gas and we're lucky enough to come away with three points. So if we have any comments at all on league one, we can move straight to the champions league. I think this league is, is pretty clear uh, every time Griffin, go ahead. Um, with league on the way that sort of, you mentioned it, Paris Saint-Germain have been less convincing. It kind of seems like it's been a theme over the years that they've grown a little bit less and less convincing. Uh, and with the Mbappe news that, let's face it, he probably won't be there this time next season, whether it's with Madrid or someone else. It's probably going to be Real Madrid. got to be Madrid. And they have rich owners, and they will try to fill that gap. But if I'm the other teams in League 1 right now, I'm kind of looking at this season as a trial run, if you will, <laughs> as a let's figure it out. And then next, because next year you're going to have a PSG team that's in transition. And I think not those only, are the. Not only because Go they're going to be without Mbappe, but I don't know if you just heard this. Um, the owners of PSG will no longer be renting out Parc de France. They're going to have to build their own stadium because it's just too expensive to rent out the city stadium in Paris. And they are now they're they're going through an identity crisis, this team. You know, oh, yeah. without Mbappe, they're going to lose their most marketable star by a million. And this is from having just had Messi and Neymar there. And prior to that, Zlatan. So there's not a single name really that moves the needle on a global scale the way that these guys did. And that was kind of their thing. You know, they won the French League every year. They struggled in the Champions League. They went to one final and fell. But they still had this global brand about them. And that might be going away. They're not going to be playing in the iconic Parc de Prince Stadium. It seems that, that that's going to come to fruition. They're not going to have the best player in the world in Kylian Mbappe. And yeah, this is a trial run. I love the way you put that for a lot of Ligue 1 teams who can now reset and go at it next year with a team that's going to be far below the standard that they normally have. They're going to be playing, I would say, a tough matchup in the Champions League as well. We'll talk about it in a second against Sociedad, who have just drawn the league leaders in La Liga nil-nil against Girona, so they're going to have a tough go of it in Europe as well. And while they'll cruise to a league and title this year, they're going to struggle in the Champions League. And I don't think they're going to learn a lot of lessons. I think they're going to have to reset and go back to the drawing board. Diego, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, like, I, I love the identity crisis comment. It, they're they're going through some stuff. They're, they're dying their hair. They're, you know, <laughs> they're switching apartments. You know, it's it's all rough, and I, I think honestly, y'all are, are kind of a little too nice with it. They are, they're a disaster. They're a disaster, especially with the the league on TV contracts and and everything just being a complete mess. And PSG, the only thing going right for them is the Jordan Brand collab, and that's debatable. Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're, their newest jersey looks like you're going to go out hunting, or you are hunting. Like hell. Put me in that jersey and put me in the Museum of Natural History. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be one of the leopards. Um, <laughs> it, it's just – it's sad to see PSG kind of fall off this hard. They do have some really promising players, but, I mean, it, I don't even think it's going to be a transitioning year for them next year. I think, I think this is probably the last year PSG will have contending for a long time because, I mean, they, they've had the win-now mentality – for so long and they have one now every year but it was ultimately for something bigger which was a champions league which they never got 
And now they're kind of blowing up the whole thing in a league that is blowing up internally. I it's sad, but at the end of the day, just my my just quick praise to Brest, who were 14th last season and are currently sitting in a Champions League spot. Yeah. But PSG, man, get your stuff together, man. I mean, it, it, we we can't talk about Liga and, and not have it be primarily about PSG. They are the premier team of the region, and they show that every year when they get inevitably knocked out in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. But with that said, I think you're absolutely beautifully put. That league is imploding from the inside, and if PSG are imploding, you better believe that they're going to bring down Ligue 1 with them. So with that said, let's take a look at European football as a whole and its greatest scale, that scale being, of course, the UEFA Champions League. We'll talk Europa League and Conference League next week when those matches happen, but we're going to preview uh, the four matches that are going to occur next week, starting with Tuesday in Copenhagen, Copenhagen and Manchester City. I think we all have a fair idea of how that one might go, although Copenhagen did surprise a lot of people by doing better against another team from that city and getting out of their group. So we'll, we'll open that up in a second. Then also on Tuesday, Erby Leipzig welcome Real Madrid. And although Leipzig have had a decent season, you know, one that you'd expect in the Bundesliga where they're not, not exactly in the title race, but they're certainly fighting for Champions League. And then you've got Real who, like I said, by the end of this weekend could very well be in the driver's seat to win. I think that both of these matches have the away team as the favorite and more so in Manchester City's case, Griffin. I know the wounds from Copenhagen are so fresh, but what do you think about Manchester City's chances against them? Certainly better than the ones United had. I think you're giving Copenhagen too much credit. I, I well, will say, I think I think when when they beat Manchester United, Ten Hag coached two wins against them, and that was not the result reflected. But the thing about Manchester City is they probably have the most, I guess, composed and sleek team and most solid group of players I think I've probably ever seen assembled. I heard, forgot what show was talking about. It might've been Sky Sports, but they were talking about how, honestly, you can't really pick a city first team because they don't really have one. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think City could rest players and win against this Copenhagen team. I On paper, I, for sure. I, on paper, for sure. And I think... In practice, although we, we have seen before where City looks a little lackadaisical, especially in the early rounds of the Champions League knockout stages. But I think this matchup, like you said, is pretty cut and dry. I think City has the lead of that one. And then same with the Real Madrid-RB Leipzig game. I wouldn't be surprised if when you go to check the score, it'll be 20 minutes in and maybe Leipzig is up 1-0. They'll pend to my score, but... <laughs> yeah, it won't end that way. Yeah, It won't end that way. I mean, Real Madrid is the Champions League club. And honestly, City and Real Madrid are probably the two teams that I'm predicting to match up with each other in the Champions League final. And that's a whole another conversation for another day. But those those two matchups seem pretty clear. And then honestly, all the matchup next ne- all the matchups next week seem pretty clear. The Way only back. one is maybe maybe PSG and Sociedad have a draw in one of their legs. I still think PSG pulls it out, but as a whole, next week's matchups of Champions League games so are much better. too exciting. Yeah. The, well, the week after that, I think, are so much better. The ones yeah, that yeah. are coming up next week, not the best. Not the right. best games. Right. Diego, what do you think? 
Yeah, um, I'm always happy that my Valentine, the UCL, comes around every year. I'm just, it, it warms my heart. But they have provided me a snooze fest. It, it, this week is probably just going to be easy results. I think the biggest upset is going to be the FC Porto-Arsenal game, where I think FC Porto is just going to outplay Arsenal. Uh, we saw around, um, I don't remember if this was a year ago or two years ago, where they lost embarrassingly to Sporting uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the Europa League. And look, FC Porto has players like Pepe, like Taremi, um, like the other Pepe, like Diogo Costa, uh, like Galeno. They, these guys are more physical. These guys are, like, to, like to tussle, like to fight. And and Arsenal has has shown that they have not played as comfortable around physical teams. I, I feel like the Liverpool team that we saw in the Premier League, yes, they have some physical players, but they try to play a little too technical right. for, for their skill set. Whenever Arsenal has played a a physical team, they get embarrassed. Mm. And it's like it's happened this season. I mean, they lost to Lens, which I mean League on. They that was a great much, match. They don't have much going for them, but what they do is that these teams can fight. These teams are a little more physical, and and Lens is a great example of that. I mean, um, the game against Man City. I mean, they, they're also they can play very physical, and I mean, I understand that Arsenal did win this game, but it wasn't convincing at all. And, um, and so I think that's going to be the biggest upset. I think um, Porto has a very good shot. And I think everybody is um, looking looking down on them. Will they go very far in the tournament? I don't think so. But I think if this is their best shot to win, I'm calling the shots. I I love that pick. Comes with some good reason. If if I can say one thing, it's that PSG having home home field advantage against Real Sociedad may help for the first leg. But I I do think Sociedad could sneak away. And, and end up because PSG, we've said, are just so vulnerable at this moment that once I think if Sociedad have the home leg second, uh, which they do, that they can really do some damage. But yeah, like you said, Griffin, the ones that are coming up this week, um, I think it's pretty clear, cut and dry, who's winning in each one. Madrid over Leipzig, City over Copenhagen, um, PSG over Sociedad, most likely, and then Bayern on the road over Lazio. Um, I'd be happy to see a result go against the way we think, but it seems like that. Just previewing for the following week, Porto hosts Arsenal, Napoli hosts Barca. And what I think will be the best matchup is Inter Milan hosts Atletico Madrid. And then PSV Eindhoven hosts Borussia Dortmund, which is also a terrific, terrific matchup. PSV Eindhoven have done some terrific things in the Dutch league this year. And Dortmund are vulnerable. They haven't been as good as they could be. And that could uh, spell doom for them. So that is where we are at in Europe. These, these games on Valentine's Day. Yeah, you're right, Diego. Usually they hook us up. Not so much this year. So before we close out the show, this is gonna this is my favorite part of the show. We're gonna talk a little bit local, not too in depth. We previewed MLS seasons a, a, a little bit. We're gonna talk for maybe a second. And Diego, I forgot because I know that uh, the Houston Dynamo are actually having won uh, the Open Cup. Are actually in uh, the Concacaf Champions League and they play St. Louis City in the upcoming weeks. Uh, among the big matches in that tournament, um, just quick going through them. We had a Liga MX MLS matchup. Vancouver Whitecaps hosted Tigres. A 1-1 draw. A good result for both of those sides, really. Gives Tigres an away goal and, and something on the road, while 
Vancouver, you know, against probably the best assembled roster in Liga MX, do well enough to get a point, uh, get a draw out of it. Monterrey went into Guatemala City, beat Comunicaciones 4-1. Uh, Real Esteli hosting Club America actually get a 2-1 win, which is awesome. Like, who has Nicaraguan sides beating the biggest team in Mexico? And then, in a similar vein, Guadalajara went to Hamilton, Ontario. And for a little bit, that game was 1-1. And they almost lost at Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League in a match that took place at Tim Hortons Field. So I just love that. I love this tournament so much. Cade Cowell, the American international, the first American international to ever play for Chivas Guadalajara, uh, scored two goals in that game. So that's exciting. Um, Deportivo Saprissa and Philly Union play the same day as St. Louis City and Houston Dynamo. And if you've ever seen a compilation of like Brexit tackles, um, Saprissa versus Philly Union from 2021 is, uh, I think maybe 2022, is all over that because that game that game should have had 14 red cards and I don't think a single one was issued out because it's CONCACAF and the the Giants from Costa Rica and Saprissa uh, ended up getting really frustrated that they were going to lose to the Philly Union. So I'm so happy that that matchup is back. Um, as for the rest of the MLS teams, New England play Independiente, Orlando City play Calvary of the CPL, Nashville play Mocha, and Cincinnati play Cavalier, the Caribbean side from Jamaica. So uh, so much football coming up in this part of the world. It's not the UEFA Champions League, but it's our Champions League, so you got to love it. Um, Diego, if you want to chime in on Houston and St. Louis City, feel free. I'd love, to, I'd love to have someone else have an opinion on this one. Yes, I the greatest <laughs> tournament in the world, the CONCACAF Champions Cup. I uh, They're with the rebrand and they're fresh, yeah. but the same magic is here in this tournament. We've already seen the Club America upset, and I that brought tears to my eyes. I'm so happy. I, was so I hate Club America, man. I'm so happy. I, I do too, man. Uh, my uh, my just my ancestors are so happy. But, uh, <laughs> I, I will say this cup. I love your point about Saprissa in Philadelphia. I saw I saw the game from one or two years ago. It was the yeah. funniest thing ever. Great, this is awesome. It's it was entertaining. Great. Like terrible, terrible yeah, song. It, it's no terrible. Putrid. but. But that, that's what the magic is. That's the magic. It's yeah. it's like it's like it's like I go watch a J League game at three in the morning after you know having a fun night. Do I do it because of the quality? No, it's I do it because it's vibes. But <laughs> to, to stay to stay on topic, St. Louis and Houston Dynamo. I am so proud of my Houston Dynamo making it to the uh, Champions Cup. I understand that we would have been given a spot regardless of winning the Open Cup or not because we were up against Inter Miami. Uh, but I think we're going to make some noise. I think, honestly, um, I know we, um, we, we exceeded expectations last season, and uh, we certainly picked up some guys. Uh, uh, we just picked up Jan Gregus from, um, from Minnesota. Minnesota. A, big um, a huge pickup. I'm super happy with that. But also looking at, like, um, getting Sebastian Ferreira back, our, our, goal, our leading goal scorer, mm-hmm. who I don't understand why we – sent him away but maybe some attitude issues i i don't know but uh i especially from everyone that i've talked to within the the camp uh in houston everyone seems optimistic everyone seems happy and ready for the season so i would be i wouldn't be surprised if houston goes into st louis and gets a 2-0 win wow into st louis with a 2-0 win not a lot of teams did that in mls last year st louis were penciled in at the bottom of the league uh, with a lot of a lot of team, a lot of people expected you know the Houston Dynamo to make something of a jump, but not as big of a jump as they made in the end. And 
uh, Hector Herrera really came into his own, I would say, as like the leader of that squad and in a spectacular way. And I, they absolutely deserve to be in the Champions League or sorry, the Champions Cup. I keep getting it wrong with the rebrand. Um, and St. Louis, I'm, I'm excited that they're there, too. You know, it's their first second season now and them being in the Champions League is big for their club and big for that city. Um, I, but I do think the fact that the Dynamo have been there before having won the 2019 Open Cup, I believe. Um, they, 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 yeah. absolutely, they, or 18. Been, it was 18. 18. And then they were in the 2019 edition of the tournament. Um, they've been around before and they won some games in that, in that tournament as well. So I remember, I, I remember actually that was DeMarcus Beasley's final season and he actually scored in this tournament. So, uh, that was spectacular for the U S legend. Um, let's talk a little bit about, we've got MLS coming up. So we've heard a little bit about the Dynamo. Griffin, yeah. if you want to jump in and tell us what we should know for about another West uh, Conference team that you support in the Portland Timbers, let us. And then before we close out, we'll talk a little bit about the local sides. NYCFC making some big moves with some signings, the Red Bulls changing their entire front office. So, Griffin, what do you got for us on the West Coast? Well, I to to be completely honest, I do not follow the Portland Timbers as much as I probably should. But what I it's do okay. know is that from looking at the Timber squad report, it's a lot of newer guys to this team. And I think that's going to be something that will be very interesting to figure out, especially as the Timbers are still kind of in a little bit of a transitional period. Absolutely moving, in a transitional period. Yeah, moving away from Savarese. And Phil Neville, the manager, came out and said in a recent interview, it will be hard to fill the gaps because the past two managers have taken this team Two MLS Cup finals. Uh, previous one, Caleb, a little bit before that was a little more successful than Savarese and MLS Cup championships. But I do think this team will have to kind of build off of the backs of some of the older leaders. I mean, in the attack, you have Daron Espria. And in the midfielder, you have the guy who seems like he'll be playing uh, in the MLS for the rest of his life, uh, Diego Chara. I don't know how... I, I don't know. I, I think it's the lack of height adds some more <laughs> adds some more lifespan when it comes to playing the game. But those are the guys I think you're really gonna have to lean on as you sort of build around this new talent pool of players. I I absolutely love that. You know, and for someone who's not quote unquote big fan of the Timbers, maybe not as big as you should be, I think you, you nailed it on the head right there. You know, you know that guys like Dyron Espria and Diego Char are going to move move the passion for your team. You know those guys. You can count on those guys. Meanwhile, you're bringing in Christian Paredes, who is now becoming a bigger part of this team. Can Felipe Mora be the player he was a couple years ago? Can Eric Williamson stay healthy for a full season? And then maybe you've got a really, really good team in this Western Conference and one that's, you know, probably been around for the, the top of the, the conference for long enough where you'd expect them to stay there. Um, but with the season they had last year, they had to change the guard. Phil Neville, not the biggest fan of him as a manager, but I think he's got enough of a pedigree to get some, some points out of this team. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a fraud, man. <laughs> I, I, I saw him up close at Red Bulls Inter Miami a couple seasons ago, and his entire shtick was to just um, bark at the fourth official the whole time because it was the fourth official's uh, second ever professional game that he was refereeing. And this was very apparent to Phil Neville who made it his mission to make that guy uncomfortable to try and get calls given to his team, and it did not work. Uh, it was very annoying. But I will give him credit. He's won things before with the English women's national team, so I, perhaps he can th turn things around for the Portland Timbers. As things go in the city, 
I'm going to say two quick names for NYCFC. The most recent of which is, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, Jovan Mijatovic, who is was been targeted for a long time by City Football Group um, from Red Star Belgrade. He's 18 years old. They bought him for $8.6 million, which is a big, big money for an 18-year-old in MLS, plus two more million of add-ons. So this could be as much as $10 million. And he's got eight goals in just 600 minutes in Serbia this year. This is a big, big player that can score goals to play up top next to Munsef Bakrar. So I think NYCFC are making the moves that other teams in New York City are maybe asking, uh, their fans are asking, these are the signings we need to make. Agustin Ojeda, also joining from Racing Club at 19 years old for $7.5 million. These are the types of purchases you make as a serious club in MLS. And it pains me to say that as someone who despises this club with every fiber of my being. And one who, and I've absolutely criticized the way that they've spent money in the past. I thought they wasted money on the likes of Thiago Andrade, who's still with the club. I thought they didn't give enough uh, of to Gabi Pereira to actually keep him with the team for a while. I thought um, the purchases of Talis Magno were, were underutilized. This, to me, seems like a step in the right direction for NYCFC. Diego, I know you have a bit more of an affinity for these guys than I do, so I'll turn this over to you in a second. They were awful last year. Absolutely terrible. The Red Bulls were bad, too. But NYCFC had no business being in the playoffs, and they weren't. They finished 11th. Um, they're obviously going to be better this year than they were last year. They sucked. But are these signings enough going to have enough of an impact right now? Do you see them being a playoff team in Major League Soccer? Well, look, I, I really love your point of, like, um, these are the signings that other MLS clubs are typically scared of. I mean, um, a lot of MLS signings were very – we're very we're much more established. That's what I like to say because I don't like using the like retirement league thing because I, I think that's done and dusted. Uh, NYCFC I think are going to have an immediate impact. I feel like uh, missing the playoffs for their first time since their expansion season was a wake up call. I think honestly, mm-hmm. uh, I watching game after game the underutilization of Thales Magno. Uh, Gabi Pereira, uh, Fernandez, all of these guys kind of just were trying to do what they were doing in the wrong place. Mm. I don't know if that's a managerial problem. I don't know whether that was just a transitional period after losing, like, probably their best ever player in Tati Castellanos, because really they haven't been the same squad since he left. That That's mm-hmm. just the undeniable fact. But, um, I mean, you, you just mentioned a player that at 18 years old oozes in confidence oozes in confidence, and, and that's exactly what this team needs. Uh, Atales Magna, who has been underperforming, Pereira, Fernandez, guys that sure did okay, but I mean, not nearly the, as good enough as as they can be playing. So I feel like it'll make an impact, but um, I, I feel like um, especially let's give an 18-year-old the pressure of an 18-year-old, and let's not go too hard on him. Uh, I would wait maybe one, two more seasons and then kind of make an opinion about how he fits into this team. Mm. I would just like to add, let's look at this diamond that they have up top now with Santi Rodriguez, uh, Monsef Bakrar, and now, like you mentioned, the signing of Johan uh, Mijatovic. This team could be scary when it comes to the goal-scoring department, and I think that that's something that they lacked. To, to a certain extent last year. Oh, but yeah. You guys, you, got, you guys said uh, they weren't the best team 
And the thing that still, I think, will be the limiting factor of NYCFC is, are these guys going to stay healthy for a full season? Because you can't utilize players if they can't stay healthy. And I don't want to blame where they play or kind of the style of how they do it, but it kind of does take a toll on you playing in three separate stadiums. But to your mention of them becoming a serious club, I think the stadium now, the stadium security coming in the next few years is is going to revitalize this team. And I think the City Football Group is making these bigger moves, like you said, these more expensive signings, because they want to make this team the powerhouse of the MLS in two to three years, give or take. And, you know, this is only a couple years removed from an MLS Cup title. So you have to you have to keep that in mind when you're talking about this team. They've won through all that adversity. They played more home games at Red Bull Arena that year than they did at Yankee Stadium. And they won MLS Cup. So that that is something that they can do and they have done in the past. But I do think that these signings absolutely put them in the right direction. And for as horrible as they were last year, they decided to stay with Nick Cushing as the head coach, unlike the New York Red Bulls, who saw Troy Lassane, uh go away because they didn't renew his contract. They didn't want to renew him. And now he's the manager of their oldest rival, DC United, which boils my blood as someone who respects the originality of MLS. But that th- is hate what it DC is. DC United. Absolutely hate DC United. They're, they are and always have been and always will be scum in the city of New York. So with that being said, the Red Bulls did make some announcements, not the ones the fans wanted to hear. But they did make announcements. Julian de Guzman, the Canadian uh, international legend, is going to be the new sporting director. He's never worked at the top flight before, so people were critical of that. Red Bulls fans are critical of everything. Um, I was had the privilege of being at the unveiling of Emil Forsberg to the media uh, at last Friday at Red Bull Arena. That dude is the nicest guy I've ever met in pro football, I would have to say. He was so, so uh, appreciative of everybody there. And that's a great, great sign, not only from, you know, a media perspective for the Red Bulls, because they certainly could have used some good media for the season they had last year with all the adversity and the protests and whatnot. But now they have a good face of the club and probably one of the best playmakers this league uh, will see for quite some time. So I'm very excited about his prospects uh, to come in, but they still need more to do. Absolutely need to get another striker. And uh, head of sport, Jochen Schneider, did indicate that they're not done buying players, but he wouldn't say where on the field. Because and it was pretty funny. He's like, if I give away uh, our strategies now, the the prices go up. So he makes a good point there. Uh, we don't need a six foot four striker. Wink, wink. They absolutely need a big striker. So with that said, season a couple uh, a couple weeks away. Champions League also underway now in this part of the world. But some more MLS teams in action a couple weeks down the line. Boys, I want to thank you not only for letting me put that section in the show, but for letting us go over our allotted time. We've talked for a little bit over an hour now. Uh, and I absolutely love doing that. And I'm I'm so happy it's been with you guys. Griffin, you were terrific in your debut last week. You're killing it again this week. Diego, your debut. Love you on the field, but you're you're killing it, it on Zoom as well. You know what I mean? You're absolutely uh, belong here. And I loved uh, talking with you guys. Some great stuff uh, uh, all over, whether it was international football, European football or domestic in our home country, the one that we love. Uh, yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for a great episode for Diego Martinez. Griffin Stevenson, our producer, Gabby Price. I want to say thank you guys for listening. Uh, FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports, and we will see you guys next week.